This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sunday, October 15th, 2023. I'm Ryan Schmelz. Terror attacks have brought national security to the top of issues on the campaign trail, and the candidates are trying to make the case that they're the best option to keep America safe. This is a big test for him. It's not a secret that three quarters of the country thinks President Biden is too old and not fit for the job. And now he's got a real chance to show those naysayers that they're wrong. The deadly terror attacks in Israel have left Americans on edge, and it's not the only growing concern to our national security. Uh, I think the concern also is, I think, mirrored not only just the 150 people or so who are, are who are known to be on the terrorist watch list, none, nonetheless, others who may have gotten away, we don't even know who they are. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. A recent Fox News poll has former President Trump holding a strong lead amongst GOP primary voters with 59 percent. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is at a distant second at 13 percent, with former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley closing the gap with 10 percent support from Republican voters and Vivek Ramaswamy dropping to 7 percent. The economy continues to be top of mind for voters, with food and groceries putting the most strain on household finances. President Biden speaking in front of supporters in Philadelphia on Friday says his economic plan is working. We must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. But some candidates' foreign policy positions are being looked at in a new light in the wake of the recent Hamas terror attacks in Israel. Voters saw President Biden, whose approval rating remains at 41 percent, address the issues from the White House. This has Republicans on the campaign trail attempt to highlight their differences, some tapping into their own experience when it comes to defense and foreign policy. Republican strategist, former campaign manager for Massachusetts Senator Scott Brown and co-founder of South and Hill Strategies, Colin Reed. Well, look, foreign policy is one of those things that lies dormant from the political discussion for months and months and months. And then suddenly, in the blink of an eye, the unexpected happens and it's front and center in the national political discussion, as well as all the various campaigns. Seven days ago, this was the idea that we'd be talking about a war uh, in Israel was out of the question. And it's similar to the idea that in the 2000 campaign, neither Governor Bush or Vice President Gore talked about Al-Qaeda. And then uh, less than a year later, we had the terrible events of 9-11. So it's an example of how things can flip uh, on a switch and really just completely reshuffle the deck. So yes, it has. And the drama and the chaos that's that's unfolding in the House Republican caucus right now uh, has been supplanted from the front pages, at least, or pushed down a bit by by these horrible events, what's happening in Israel right now. Is there any candidate that could potentially gain some traction on former President Trump when it comes to foreign policy by displaying them? Certainly, I think uh, some people have complimented Nikki Haley's uh, ability to talk about foreign policy issues, certainly has a, a, 
significant experience with that, too, having a high profile uh, position in the Trump administration? Or is this an issue that Trump is strong on? So when the week started politically, this was a, a moment for, for President Trump. He has not only the experience of having been commander in chief, and this is very much a commander in chief test for four years. And he's he, for the first time since 1892, is a former president seeking to reclaim the office in a subsequent election and has a lead in the polls. So as the week began, this was a real gift for him. Obviously, the events are horrible and should never be described that way. But in terms of the sheer political lens of it, President Trump has a record of support for Israel that he could stick to and that he could run on. He moved the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem after many other presidents tried to do and, and failed. And then, of course, there were the Abraham Accords. So it started off as a position of strength for President Trump. And then by the end of the week, as he so often does, he stepped in it with some of his comments that are now leading to these fairly across the board denunciations from all of his competitors uh, about Hezbollah. And um, it was an unforced error. And it's um, it's it's certainly one that's going to stick around for a while. But is this one going to have an impact? Because we've seen this happen before. He's He certainly has made comments that have drawn controversy, but in, in many ways, he still polls very strong. That's the age old question, but it certainly gave his opponents an opening and uh, room to criticize him. And most of them have to date and have, have criticized him very harshly. Uh, and look, Israel is our closest friend of the Middle East. They're facing the worst security crisis in half a century. Uh, we've got at least 27 Americans who have been tragically killed, uh, more are missing. And this would be a time for the former president to demonstrate strength and resolve. And instead, he's relitigating his past grievances. So it, it highlights the fundamental weakness of the Trump campaign and, and one that his opponents will be uh, smart to highlight for voters. And certainly Nikki Haley, you know, when we talk about the embassy being moved to Jerusalem, it, she was, I believe, you know, right at the forefront of that. So is this is this an opening for her potentially? Well, this is one of those moments where the Republican Party is divided on a lot of issues. And we're seeing that unfold in the House Republican caucus right now. But support for Israel is one of those ones that, by and large, really unites the party, the various wings of it. And it's the Democratic Party. Uh, that's facing the divisions on it. And we've seen some of these horrible comments play out this week uh, from Rashida Tlaib and others who are now facing censure movements for some of their uh, both sidesism, if you will, uh, regarding what's happening in Israel and Hamas. And this is not one of those things. This is not a gray area. This is black and white. This is right and wrong. And the Democratic Party, unfortunately, has some really extreme voices on this that uh, President Biden, to his credit, so far, with his words, at least, has uh, sufficiently denounced and made clear don't represent his position. Um, but look, this is an issue where the Democrats are really have some serious divisions. Uh, we saw what happened with some of these just highly offensive comments out of Black Lives Matter Chicago, other leftist groups who are seemingly showing sympathy with Hamas. And it's outrageous. The Republican Party, wherever you stand on the speaker's race, wherever you stand in this presidential primary, it's a chance for everyone to be on the same page, standing up for our friends in Israel and making sure that uh, political uh, rhetoric, hateful political rhetoric here at home gets sufficiently condemned. What can President Biden do to reassure people that he is the person that can keep America safe? Because that was a question I even asked his national security advisor. I pointed out the uh, record amount of people who have been apprehended at the southern border who are on the FBI's terror watch list. 
And, you know, they tried to explain, you know, with the protocols they have to to monitor something like that. But is this a liability for President Biden or does he is this something he can run on? In many ways, what's happening right now is reminiscent of the fall of 2015 and 2016, early 2016, when ISIS was committing all of its atrocities overseas and the the situation got brought home by by what they were doing, uh, and and President Biden himself compared uh, Hamas's actions to ISIS. And look, the president uh, rightfully got criticized for being slow to get to the cameras. Uh, I think when he finally did get there uh, on Wednesday, uh, he delivered a, a forceful speech. He said what he needed to say, and that was that was commendable. And now the real test is going to be whether or not. He can support that with with substantive, serious, meaningful action. If he does, the American people will be with him. We've seen this rally around the flag effect before uh, in the events after 9-11 here and people willing to rally behind their commander in chief. But look, this is a big test for him. It's not a secret that three quarters of the country thinks President Biden is too old and not fit for the job. And now he's got a real chance to show those naysayers that they're wrong, uh, but he's got to do it. So he said what he needed to say this week, and the the real test is going to be in the days, weeks ahead. And ultimately, if he does his job well, uh, it's going to be hard for the Republican candidates to compete with that because good policy is good politics. and, And this could be a moment for him. Now we'll see if he's up to the test. Now, when we look at polling, we've seen President Biden starting to struggle against the majority of these candidates. But when we look at the primary, it still looks like former President Trump is dominating. I don't think that's too much of a shock, but it does look like there's a little bit of a stock up for Nikki Haley, where she could in some ways, in many ways, be considered now the number two candidate instead of Governor Ron DeSantis. Where do you make of the Republican primary right now? And who do you think is in second place as of right now, based off of polling and just momentum? Look, the former president's ahead. There's no doubt about that. It's also true that we don't choose our elections based on uh, national polls. If someone is going to surpass and potentially overtake him, it's going to happen by catapulting themselves in these early state primaries. We've got Iowa, we've got New Hampshire, and the entire deck will get reshuffled and everything will look new. And the winner of those contests will uh, go into the, the next one with a a head of steam and and have momentum at their back. I think the challenge for the former president is expectations. And because his lead is so large right now, it's possible some of his supporters don't feel the need to come out and, and vote for him in these primaries. And if he doesn't have the dominating performance that people seem to think that he's on track to do, he could be a victim of his own uh, expectation, falling short of his own expectations. And by then, it could be too late. He doesn't win in Iowa. He doesn't win New Hampshire. He doesn't win in South Carolina. It's it's possible that the ground shifts and it's too late for him to regain the momentum. And look, com- comments like this week uh, were there was a lot of things that Republican voters, by and large, liked about what President Trump did. One of them was he projected a sense of strength in the world. And under the Biden administration, first we saw the chaos and fiasco in Afghanistan. So that was strike one. Uh, Now we're seeing more of this instability around the world. So if the former president can project strength and stability, uh, a sense of calm, uh, then he will help himself politically. But but right now with his comments this week, he's done anything but. And who, who do you think is gaining the most momentum right now if it's not former President Trump? Is it Nikki Haley or are we looking at somebody else who might be, you know, sneaking in there? 
no doubt Ambassador Haley had a nice uh, nice debate, the first debate, and she's parlayed that into some some continued momentum going forward. And she's an impressive candidate with a, a solid resume. But the Republican field is awash with riches. Uh, keep an eye on a guy like Governor Christie. We could have a breakout moment at the next debate, which is only four weeks away, uh, and could really upend and change the trajectory of this race. And all it takes is one moment at a debate, one moment at a town hall for, for this thing to, to flip on its head. So the race has been remarkably static by historical standards, but at any second, this talented field of candidates could change the the, the forward-looking momentum uh, for the better uh, for their for their campaigns. And, and and are we getting to the point where people are going to st- start to drop out or, or should drop out? Because, you know, it seems like we've seen about four candidates who are at least polling above that 5% threshold in most national polls and in a good amount of state polls, too. But are there some who just are kind of at the end of the road, especially when we get to this this next debate, and some might qualify, some might not. You're going to start hearing that from the donor class, from the operative class, from the media class about the need to coalesce, particularly if any of these candidates want to build enough support to challenge former President Trump standing in the polls. So look, the debate thresholds, I think the RNC has done uh, a nice job uh, uh, making the debate thresholds tough but fair. And I would expect as those as those thresholds to go up, it's going to be problematic for some of these candidates. And then uh, not making a debate stage would be extremely challenging for one of these candidate campaigns to continue on. So, look, the next the next debate is November 8th. That's going to be the next moment in the sand. But until then, all eyes are going to be on events overseas and the regular back and forth, the regular cadence of the political campaign is going to is going to be pushed downward a bit from uh, Americans' list of priorities, especially, you know, Hamas has declared a day of jihad today. So there, it's a very jittery country right now. Uh, people are on the edge of their seats. They don't like what they're seeing overseas. And that translates downward to politics. Yeah. And when you talk about where the eyes are, certainly, yes, the, the, the world's safety in Israel is dominating headlines right now. The Speaker of the House election is dominating headlines right now. Do we feel like this is the the presidential campaign is just not at the top of the list on people's minds and and even the in, in news media coverage too? It just feels like it's not being talked about a lot. It's taken a back seat this week for sure. It will come back. That's another thing that that's that's for sure, especially when the debate comes around. But this is a monumental event. What's happening to our strongest ally in the Middle East? This is a humanitarian crisis that and that the the barbaric scenes we've seen it's 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 a natural reflection that people would uh would would take a back seat or politics would take a back seat while uh people grapple with the scenes they're seeing overseas and look and hope look for answers for their elected officials who are in office right now to help address this situation uh bef- and, and to make sure that America and her, and her, and stands with Israel uh just as president Biden forcefully declared uh in his speech the other day now uh rubber must meet the road and, and last question, you know, when, when that when the campaign does take a backseat in terms of the attention, what do the candidates have to do? Is, is this really just now a ground game? It's challenging because you need to remain relevant. You need to remain in the news. You need to remain punchy. But at the same time, you don't want to be seen as though you're politicizing uh, a national security crisis. You don't want to be seen as taking pot shots at the commander in chief who's trying to deal with a very sensitive uh, situation, especially when there's American hostages overseas. We all know uh, the political implications of that from the Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan election of 1980. So it's not easy. And it's it's it's, it's walking a tightrope, especially for some of these candidates who don't have a natural pedigree in national security or foreign affairs on their resume. 
So it's it's not easy, uh, but you got to keep the the embers going of uh, the campaign and uh, be in a place to hit those thresholds to make that debate stage, and then hope that you can have a moment there and and really break through. Colin Reed, great stuff as always. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. The number of Americans killed in the deadly Hamas terror attacks in Israel continues to grow, and a global day of jihad called by terrorist leaders to protect and join the fight against Israel has New York City and other big cities beefing up security despite national security leaders assuring Americans there are no credible threats. But according to Fox News reporting from Bill Malusian, over 150 people on the FBI's terror watch list have been caught at the southern border this fiscal year identified as having conditions that promote or protect terrorism in some way that poses a national threat to the U.S. We press this issue to White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. We continue to remain vigilant about terrorist threats to the homeland from anywhere. It is something that we are very much working on, that we are consulting with the Congress on, that we are seeking to secure the necessary resources to continue to work through. And any time we see any threat stream, involving a terrorist threat to the homeland, we mobilize every asset and resource of the U.S. government to go after that. And that includes uh, information and analysis that uh, we have shared with the Congress about plots emanating from the Middle East, plots emanating from other places. We'll continue to do that. We also will continue to take steps to pursue a humane, orderly border policy, and we will work with the Congress in the weeks ahead uh, to continue to get the resources we need to be able to do that. I would point out that in the last supplemental, we actually sought additional funding for the border, uh, which was not forthcoming in the ultimate package that went through. Uh, So the the Biden administration has said to Congress already, we're looking for more resources to be able to deal with uh, the the continuing challenges that we have at the border. As the world focuses on escalating combat, a digital battlefield has emerged with hackers launching cyber attacks in support of both sides of the fight, which could potentially become a threat to the United States' digital infrastructure in the future. A lot of things are going on that we, we don't you know, see or hear from uh, what, what authorities are doing. So certainly there has been an apparatus put in place after 9-11 uh, domestically to look at Uh, domestic terrorist issues, radicalization, and people who may be in the forefront of potentially committing an act. Bill Daly is a former FBI investigator and international security expert. So with the FBI and Homeland Security uh, looking at these, I think things are going on in the background. Um, However, I I think that everyone has much more concern about what's, what's happening today because we have many unknown individuals who may have crossed the border in the past or even as of uh, uh, as of today, uh, Homeland Security and, uh, and Border Patrol are saying they've intercepted other people from places like Yemen. So I think there's a uh, things that are going on. I think there's monitoring of, of, of cells and groups and people who have the potential for committing terrorist acts. Um, however, these dynamics you know, certainly are changing as this war starts to unfold. 
Well, it's interesting you bring up the border because, you know, I asked the White House National Security Advisor this week uh, about the the reporting that we have, which is that we've seen 150 migrants uh, being apprehended at the southern border who have uh, or are on the FBI terror watch list. And there's a significant amount, I believe, close to the million mark uh, in terms of gotaways. And I asked the White House, is that something that Americans should be concerned about? And they said that they're very vigilant of this and they have their protocols in place. But I think that question should be posed to you, too. Is this something people should be worried about? Yes. Yes, we should, as Americans, all be worried about this. And it's something that and I've been speaking about for for a long time. Uh, if you'll go back and, and look at the attacks of 9-11 and you look at the, the 19 individuals who were involved with uh, those horrible acts on that day, uh, those people uh, were here on um, temporary visitors' visas, where they were visitors, uh, students, they were on visas. Um, in fact, there was some suggestion, I believe it was in the nine, well, the commission report, uh, that at one point they looked at uh, how to bring some of their additional members in after the first ones arrived, and they thought crossing the border might be too risky. Well, I'd probably say that paradigm has changed today, and I think today the border being is much more easier, perhaps, uh, for people to come in who aren't going to go through any scrutiny of trying to get a visa and go through any background checks. So I think it's something we need to be concerned about. Uh, I think the concern also is, I think, mirrored not only just in the numbers that you you uh, prescribed a few minutes ago, but 150 people or so who are, are who are known to be on the terrorist watch list. None, nonetheless, others who may have gotten away, we don't even know who they are. Uh, and then on top of that, there's been literally thousands of people uh, coming from you know countries, let's say, of concern to the United States, mostly from the Middle East, where there have been tens of thousands of people who crossed our border. So I kind of marrying the two two concerns up. One which occurred, you know, some over twenty years ago, uh, with terrorists being in this country, and and also now people crossing the border who we know are trying to get in the in the country who are on the terrorist watch list. Nonetheless, others who go unnoticed or ones that are not even known to be uh, currently on the list, but perhaps have the potentiality for for committing an act. So, yes, there is concern. And how do you evaluate how the Biden administration is handling at some of the actions that they are taking? And do you think that they're being effective right now? Well, I, you know, I think the whole border issue, as we've seen, you know, uh, by by reporting over the past several years um, is is woefully inept. I mean, it just is not stopping people from coming in. It's not having people um, apply for uh, for for uh, visas outside the United States, applying uh, for various forms of entry into the United States before they come to the border, or they're not being sent back. They're being brought right into into the homeland, deep into the homeland. And so, I think you know some of these uh, these policies are problematic to me from a security standpoint. Uh, and I'll put aside kind of the politics of it, but just from a pure security standpoint, I think that, you know, it's uh, it's very much lacking with regard to protecting who's coming in. And even even let's go more broader and let's take a step back a little bit from even just speaking about potential terrorists coming in. But all the people coming in, uh, you know, there's I've spent a good part of my career um, in in both the public and private sector, looking at security and and potential threats to uh, to the United States as well as to uh, organizations and, and companies inside the United States, and I probably tell you is that there's no one way for people. There's no databases out there that just check people 
coming into the country and do they have a criminal record? And even if you go back to those countries where people come from, uh, many of them don't have any type of of databases, uh, paper records, and even those might be questionable, uh, even if they do have them. So, you know, this whole vetting process is also one people speak about, but it's it's extremely nebulous because we just have varying degrees of being able to check out who people are coming into this country. Uh, and so it just gives me great reason to be paused and concerned uh, that without being kind of selective and without going through any type of judicial process, uh, we're, we're leaving ourselves open to a variety of threats, everything ranging from what we just spoke about here, kind of potential terrorist activity uh, to criminality. And what do you think can change? And also, I think we should probably get into the fact that, you know, Hamas is an organization that people have their minds on right now, and a lot of the world is pretty much watching them. Have they posed any threat to us in the past? It looks like there's no known credible threat based off what officials have said so far, but is it something that they're going to be monitor- monitoring and, and, and could be uh, a hazard down the road? Uh, yeah, I would probably tell you is that knowing uh, how uh, the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Forces work around the country, as well as various elements of, of Department of Homeland Security, I mean, they're, they're looking at uh, at these groups and people who may known to have affiliation with them here in the U.S. or communications by either Hamas or even Hezbollah overseas uh, to people here in the U.S. Those those types of, of communications are being looked at. You know, however, I would probably say the concern is uh, like we've, you know, seeing, uh, you know, uh, as a result of kind of this day of jihad, this day of rage, which uh, was promoted out of the starting in Middle East and go, really going kind of around the world, is that you just don't know who might be instigated by seeing some of these activities by by people who have certain either leanings or propensity to commit an act and could those types of kind of, let's say, signaled uh, communications, meaning the things you see in social media or in the news, prompt people to commit an act who otherwise may not be known to authorities. That's that's really always my concern. And I think we've over the years have often talked about kind of the the kind of the uh, the, the self radicalized or even the lone wolf type of of individuals, and and those type of people can pose a uh, you know a high degree of risk to to us in this country because sometimes they pop out of the woodwork. We just don't know you know who they are. We don't know what may trigger them to commit an act. And I think what we're seeing, you know, both today coming out of social media, well, probably what we'll be seeing over the next few weeks as the war unfolds, social media and the news uh, could prove to uh, potentially be uh, an instigator to people who might have a leaning to not just protest, which is in our country, certainly they're allowed to do that, uh, but commit an act. And that's really the concern uh, that, that I have. And give us a little idea of, you know, from your time in national security, how social media plays into this, but also what actions can be taken to, you know, combat something, a situation where somebody could be radicalized on social media. Because surely from what we've heard over the years, this has created a whole new set of worms in terms of national security threats, but also how to monitor it as well. Yeah, you're actually right. And and if you look at the kind of the as this uh, social media has kind of, quote, matured and is still kind of maturing in a way. If we go back to, you know, 20 years ago, we kind of look at kind of the the, the hallmark terrorist event here in this country being 9-11, um, is that social media was out there. I wouldn't say that it was it was a dominant feature in the way that people received news or communicated with each other. But we had to kind of fast forward to where we are today. 
Uh, it is certainly on a generational level, uh, one that people are using in all different facets of their life. In fact, many, uh, many people uh, of a very, you know, younger generations than, than myself are using social media and those platforms to receive their news, not just stay in touch with people, uh, but being, they don't even, you know, perhaps turn on the television news as traditionally people would do, but they're, they're looking at social media as their conduit to get, uh, to get information. So I think, you know, that by itself is something that, uh, that can lead people who, who don't have a broader view of things, who don't understand more kind of the broader geopolitical and, and other issues at hand or history at hand, uh, may be prone to being, uh, say, uh, instigated or, uh, or, or feel they're, they're part of a larger group uh, that's supporting a particular cause, uh, let's say, you know, promoted by, uh, by Hezbollah or, or Hamas. And, and those people are then kind of falling in line with that. So, you know, from a national security standpoint, I think it's a it's a, an increasing, increasing has been over the past several years concern. Uh, it's one there where there can be some monitoring, but of course, because of privacy issues, and we certainly want to be concerned about privacy issues, um, is that, you know, many times those things cannot be looked at in detail unless there's a court order. So, you know, there's, there's a degree of, of kind of, uh, let's say, uh, some gymnastics sometimes that have to be done in order to try to get uh, information about people who may pose a threat. It could come from the community. Uh, it could come from what people, what's being transmitted openly um, uh, over the internet. Uh, it may be through social media platforms. And it's those type of things that I know that uh, authorities are constantly looking at. But again, does it fully capture, does it fully embrace all of the potential exposures that we have from individuals who may be, let's say, benign and not even communicating, may not be active, but yet they're kind of on the receiving end of all this information that they're uh, they're digesting from, from social media? And could that be something that would be an impetus for them to commit an act? So that's really where one of my bigger concerns today is, is that in, in the past, it may be a bit, you know, uh, the past sometimes is a bit What's well, simpler when you can come down to it at the time, it probably didn't seem so. But in many ways, it gets more complicated today because of uh, social media was put out there. It's because um, voices all sound the same. It's, it, you know, if one or two or three people have a, a thought, sometimes it's, as, it's, it's accepted more as if you know, 100,000 people have the same thought. It's, uh, it's given some type of uh, equality to, to, to voices where if people are not discerning, they may be easily drawn into something that uh, could present a problem to us. And while we're on the, the topic of social media, there was some reporting this week that you had hackers aligned with Vietnam trying to use pretty much the social media platforms we're talking about, X uh, and Facebook, to insp install spyware uh, on the phones of dozens of high-profile people. That included uh, members of Congress, uh, members of the United Nations, and as well, or United Nations officials, I should say, uh, but also some journalists as well. What did you make of that, and, and what kind of the next steps here when following this? Well, certainly, you know, tying it into, you know, uh, social media, but it, it does also fall into the more traditional kind of, you know, spying uh, apparatus that's out there and how they're using um, social media and electronic communications to uh, to foster their their gains. And, and in that case, particularly this one with the v Vietnamese uh, looking to spy on American diplomats, uh, this is in relation to, you know, this uh, recent negotiation of a cooperation agreement. Um, 
to with Vietnam regarding kind of the growing concern, growing concern of Chinese influence in the region. And it appears that they wanted to know what the thoughts were of some of our uh, our, our, our leaders, our politicians, and particularly people from the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, on Capitol Hill, Republican Michael McCool, and others uh, were targeted. At this point, it does not appear that they were successful in this, but you know, it was more the traditional uh, spyware issue where if you click on a link, that link could then even do something uh, like turn on cameras, turn on microphones, uh, uh, provide, um, you know, copies of, of text that were perhaps later thought to be encrypted for communication. So there's a, uh, there, there was this this, this targeted kind of uh, attempt using a particular software today, it's known as Pegasus. Um, before that, there was something called Predator, which was its close cousin, which could do the same thing. Uh, but again, it just goes to show you is that we're, from a national security standpoint, you know, there's a number of different fronts that we continue to to be confronted on, you know, whether it is kind of the social media and kind of the, um, uh, the, the, the move to be able to have people join in causes through social media and receive their news through social media, which may or may not be uh, accurate. And also you have the more traditional, you know, spies using not just human assets, but uh, using technology. Uh, to try to get information from our from our leaders deep into our government, we've even seen attempts, you know, with people through the State Department. Oh, it's the similar similar attacks have been uh, been attempted against them as elsewhere. So uh, it is something that, on a number of fronts, from a national security perspective, we're we're kind of in a. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a challenging time, just because technology is advancing, perhaps sometimes even more than authorities can you know, kind of keep up on it. Um, so I think it's it's something we all need to be concerned about. And even for our own personal security, there are those cyber criminals out there, which add another level of, of kind of complexity to this, where, you know, they're committing everything from ransomware attacks against corporations and individuals um, to other types of frauds that, that take money away from people using uh, using various type of cyber and social media platforms to to be the vehicle for to uh, to send out some of this malware and the spyware and last question here uh, just with the uncertainty around having a speaker of the house what kind of problems does that create well i mean from from just a just a, a simple american who has her undergraduate degree in political science i could tell you is that uh, it, it poses a, a concern because a you know it doesn't give the sense that uh, that the government is cohesive and is um, is coordinating well, whether or not that is the case. But I think from people who are, uh, you know, whether from outside the United States or even internally kind of say, you know, this seems to, you know, create a sense of kind of disarray, if you will. Uh, but also kind of on a, on, a, on a judicial or legislative standpoint, is that be able to kind of actually put through bills through Congress, which may need to be passed quickly to, either deal with the, the current conflict in the Middle East or to deal with any other issues that we have in this country that need to be dealt with is that we need to have the speaker in place in order to move those bills forward through the process, uh, through the legislative process, um, and then be able to present them to uh, to the other house, the Senate, for approval. So, And then ultimately for the, for the president to sign or not sign. So I think there's you know, the, the, it does create a concern. I think it's a level of anxiety. Uh, certainly, as all Americans hope that this gets resolved very quickly. Uh, but I think, from a political standpoint, for Republican Party, uh, it presents an issue of concern because you want to make sure that they seem to have a grasp on things, especially as we look forward for an election within 
the next you know 13 months um, and you want that to be forward but forward the fact that uh, they have their handle uh, hands on things they're able to kind of coordinate uh, legislative activities that are able to kind of pull their their own house in order and I think those are the concerns that uh, that I personally see uh, and I think that many Americans would probably echo the same sentiments Bill Daly thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate your time thank you That'll do it for this weekend's edition of the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, we continue to follow the latest in Israel's response to the deadly Hamas terror attacks and the latest on Congress's next steps in trying to elect a Speaker of the House. I'm Ryan Schmelz. Thank you for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.